In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but are never filled. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but are not warm. Those who earn wages end up with holes in their money bags. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 6. The Lord is talking to the prophet Haggai about his chosen people, the Israelites. Here's that theme again, the one about coming to the Lord for lasting and fulfilling nourishment. I keep being drawn back to these similar verses about how earthly things will not satisfy us. This time, the Lord's reprimanding his people who've just got off the bus after 70 years of exile in Babylon in their ransacked and flattened city of Jerusalem. The temple, their place of worship, has been totally destroyed. Let's see if we can recognize in ourselves the reaction of the returning chosen nation to their holy city. They looked after themselves first. They bustled around building houses, tending to their flocks and herds, planting their crops, vineyards and olive groves. According to the Lord, they lived in richly panelled houses while the temple lay in ruins. He was angry. So even after 70 years of atonement for disobeying their God, they returned home still all about me, me, me. No wonder God held back the rain. And if they weren't happy before, they were definitely not happy now. But God had their attention, wham, right in the belly and the purse where it hurts the most. Put God first. How often does he have to remind us of this simple fact? Without him, we wouldn't be. Seek the kingdom first. Don't put yourself before the Lord. It won't make you happy. Good afternoon and morning. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Are you ready for a fabulous day? My guest this week is Lisa Schusterman, who let go of all things traditional to pursue a lifelong dream of traveling around the world with her husband and two girls. She returns to the show to share some important thoughts about letting go and what to take for the journey. I'll be shaking off my umbrella to bring you news from the small island I'm calling home for the time being. Theatre, board of directors, a dispute with a mailbox, ashes, towels and willow are all on my list of must-talkabouts. So settle down with your cereal and juice or your afternoon tea and scone and treat yourself to an hour of spontaneous homeschooling at its very best. First off, though, I have to say hello to my zookeeper son, Simon, who had an emergency appendectomy last night. One minute he was fine, the next he was reeling in pain in the emergency room. Big brother and friends kept him company through what was probably the most painful 24 hours of his life. Get well soon, Simon. We love you. This week, I arrived 
As far as being recognised, at the small block of flats where we dwell at the moment, we have letterboxes in our front doors, and the other morning, an envelope was pushed through mine and floated across my new carpet. There was no stamp, just my name flourished across the front, and I opened it with caution. Was it an anonymous caustic note, as I'd seen in the complaints book in the lobby? Were we making too much noise? Did my blue-eyed cowboy's late-night business calls to early-afternoon America disturb our neighbours' slumbers? Was I doing something wrong at the compost heap? The letter inside, neatly typed and signed, so not anonymous, was asking me to join the board of directors at Highcliffe, the name of the flats. Relieved by the contents, I replied with a resounding yes, not knowing what it would entail, but I wanted to show willing and honestly, after all I've been through, how intrusive could it be? There are 20 flats. Each occupant has bought into the building itself, so we own what's called a shared freehold, one-twentieth of the building and its surrounding land. There are about 30 residents, and lots of them have grown old here and are familiar with the protocol, hence my fear that I was somehow crossing over a line that had been drawn in indelible ink way before my time. But no worries. I was thrown an informal welcome party by the acting chairman, who called the function a drinky-poo, I learned a lot of important things about a small community, like the differences of opinion over how short or often the grass should be cut. The noise of neighbours few, not us, yet. The concern over the demise of the fallen willow tree, what to do with unwanted flyers left on the lobby table, and how ground floor people should not use the lift, which I was told they don't pay for in the bi-yearly dues. I'm a ground floor person. Luckily, I could honestly respond that I had walked up the three flights of stairs in pursuit of my glass of wine. The block, I was told, is very community-minded and friendly without everyone getting into another everyone else's business all the time, unless there's a flare-up about one of the concerns I've just mentioned, or there's a crisis, and then everyone rallies. Although the directors were made up of the younger end of the spectrum, I discovered that the average age of the block is about 76, so I'm still feeling old, but safe from the intrusion of loud late-night parties at the weekend, or joyful children in the hallways, unless my nephews are visiting, but not this week. I mentioned a fallen willow just now, and this is rather a sad story. For 75 years, the weeping willow at the centre of our garden has grown in Beckenham. It has a large trunk with three huge limbs twisting up and away from it to give the tree a graceful willowy shape. When its branches hang to the ground, it provides a lovely hiding place for the children to play in. But we have no children here, as I said. But last year, my daughter did take out a blanket to lie on the grass underneath its weeping shelter and lost herself for hours looking upwards at the sun dappling through its branches. Now her dreaming place has gone. The tree fell down, just like that. Amazingly for such a sturdy-looking tree. It was there one minute and then the next it had come crashing to the ground. A good metaphor for taking health and life for granted. Something my son unhappily came face to face with yesterday. During the night, its creaking and groaning sounded like intruders in the grounds. I prodded my brave cowboy and told him to go outside and look. He didn't, but he did make sure all the windows were in the locked position. We were quite convinced there were people on our patio moving our chairs and tables around. I wasn't so happy about living on the ground floor this particular night. At first light, I got up and fully expected to see garden furniture strewn across the lawns, but instead I saw two of the large limbs of the willow hanging precariously in thin air, split as if by lightning. A few hours later, right before my eyes, I watched as it fell the last few feet to the ground, a sorry victim of gravity. 
For the weekend, two-thirds of our majestic tree lay sadly on the glass. Grass. Slain. The tree surgeon, I love that title, said he could save the last of the tree by cutting it way back in a severe prune called pollarding. This was good news, but our lovely view of its weeping branches gently swaying in the wind will be gone for now. A few days later, the arborist came with a great deal of skill. He used his chainsaw to begin his brutal but life-saving amputations. The practice of pollarding is medieval and increases the life of a tree, so they say. The part of the tree that hadn't fallen was also pollarded. We were told the burden of the lopsided weight would cause it to eventually break off also. Good news, though. By September, it should be shooting vigorously, looking at its sorry profile. I feel like it might have been better to take it up and replace it with a more conventional-looking weeping willow, albeit a bit smaller. Time will tell, and all I know is our flat's now a lot brighter. Then my daughter, well, after her boyfriend went home, actually, um, she gave me a visual tour looking at photographs of the couple of days that she and her boyfriend had spent in Paris. And I was reminded that my Texan and I fell in love there. My daughter and I both agreed it is a romantic city. Despite the gruelling eight-hour bus journey through the train tunnel under the channel to get there for her. They went to see the Mona Lisa and decided to walk through the Louvre while they were there taking photos of statues, which they looked up later to discover who they were. They strolled along the Champs-Élysées, went to the Eiffel Tower at night and during the day, visited the Moulin Rouge and put a lock on the Pont des Arts, linking the left bank to the Louvre and threw the keys into the River Seine, thus sealing their undying love for one another. They ate escargot, rode the metro, drank champagne. They found time to go to a supermarket and brought us back a strong cheese and a two-euro bottle of red wine. How sweet they thought of us. Their Facebook will not be lacking in interesting and unique photographs for months, I'm sure. As far as the local theatre scene goes, I seem to have made a minor inroad. We joined by paying an annual fee, which includes everyone living in our flat, and then we went to see a play. We felt so at home in the friendly little lobby and cosy auditorium. It literally is a five-minute walk around the corner and holds about 70 people. They have a proscenium stage, and for this particular play, called The Female of the Species by Joanna Murray-Smith, There were five people in the cast. It really reminded me of home cinema. Some people have have these in their basements. Well, in fact, the whole theatre is in a large detached Tudor-beamed house. As I was reading through the programme, I noticed that they put on a pantomime during the Christmas season. I can't imagine how a cast any larger than five fits on the tiny stage. I suppose I'll just have to wait and see. Maybe by then I may have made further inroads and be working behind the scenes. Related to that, I got a call at the beginning of the week. It was a man from the theatre talking about, or so I thought, teaching the youth theatre workshops on Saturdays. I checked the box, one of many, on the volunteer sheet I'd filled out when I joined the theatre, so I was pleased I was being taken up on my offer to help. After a few moments of polite chatter, I discovered we had our lines crossed. He was looking for a drama coach for himself. I had to stifle a chuckle when he said he needed to brush up on his acting skills and excuse myself gracefully without him feeling like a total idiot. I told him if he needed to hone his stage management skills, I was the person for that. 
I was telling Malia this story when we were on the train home from an excursion. I don't know about you, but when I'm with one of my children, the conversation just flows and flows. I used to say when we were together all the time homeschooling how completely immersed we were in each other's lives. We miss that now, but we still like to get involved, hating to be left out of anything going on. So when Malia and I were out, we did nothing but talk and talk and talk and talk, even though we still see each other every day. I told her about someone asking me to be a drama coach, and she burst into such infectious laughter she had the whole train car smiling well at least those we could see should i be upset that she found this so very funny when we'd finished our good laugh and were talking about something else i looked up to see a woman across from us crying i felt awful that perhaps our sheer delight in each other's company had struck a sad chord for someone anyway we're supposed to make people's lives better not worse i need to go on a break so bye How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
Anyway, so this poor lady on the train was sitting opposite us and she was crying. She was looking over at us and crying. And I felt awful that perhaps our sheer delight in each other's company had struck a sad chord for her. But then again, she may have had allergies or something in her eye. And Malia said she'd thought that too at first. But in her opinion, the lady was definitely crying. Sorry, our presence is supposed to make people's lives better, not worse. Anyway, on that sad note, I have a great guest lined up. Her name is Lisa Schusterman, and she had the opportunity to put her life into perspective after experiencing something most of us will only dream about. Her priorities changed as she discovered that aspects of her life that had seemed important the year before gave way to interpersonal relationships. I'm thrilled to introduce my guest this week to all of you so that you can learn how an ordinary family did something extraordinary with a year of their lives. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Vivian. Thanks for taking time today and joining me again. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be back. Well, good. And is it really, really, oh, it's nine o'clock. Is it nine o'clock in the morning where you are? It is. Yeah. So it's quite reasonable here. Reasonable, yes, yes. Well, how are you doing? How have you survived the summer? Well, we survived the summer. It was a very hot one, but um, it's starting to cool off, and the kids are back in school already, and um, it's starting to turn into fall, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, yeah. In England, where I am, it's just raining the whole time and cold. I was saying to my producer, you know, I could do with a warm day, <laughs> but uh, I doesn't look as though we're getting that because we also are heading into fall and we don't seem to have had a summer but anyway let's just quickly recap about your decision to go on your life-changing adventure and then we'll move ahead and talk about some of the things we didn't cover the last time you were here okay um just briefly uh in june of 2008 my family which is composed of myself my husband and i at the time two nine and a half year old twin girls um we left for a trip around the world We traveled for one year. Um, Over the course of the year, we visited uh, 40 locations within 17 different countries, spanning six continents, and we essentially put our life on hold or vacated our life, it's probably more appropriate, um, to do this. And what did you do with your house and your jobs and your health insurance? Um, Well, jobs, we quit. Um, here in the U.S., there's no such thing as year leave of absence. We did meet other travelers along the way, uh, from, say, France, example, who could put their jobs on hold for a year and come back to them. Uh, we're yes. not that fortunate. So in order to do this, we left our jobs knowing that we'd have to do a job search when we came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids were pulled out of school. The house was rented. We chose not to sell it, um, but just to rent it instead. And... Um, And health insurance, we had to uh, purchase an international policy um, that would cover us while we were traveling, and we also maintained a small uh, domestic policy so that if something were to happen and we had to come back to the United States, that we could have uh, health insurance here as well. Well, that's good. That's good. So, I mean, there are so many things involved in just picking up and leaving um, somewhere. So you successfully rented for a whole year. That worked out all right? Yes, it did. In fact, our house was lovingly taken care of. We came home to no problems whatsoever and felt very, very grateful. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, So now I want to talk on your website. You talked about the essentials and the non-essentials 
um, that you discovered while traveling. You said that there were, there were some things that you just wouldn't go anywhere without, and there are other things that next time you would just leave at home. So you have a little list, if you could share that with us. Well, um, the, the blog that you're referring to was actually a group writing project, and um, I belong to a Facebook group called Families on the Move, other families mm-hmm. who are either currently traveling or um, who have done what I've done and are now back home or who are planning to travel and heading out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we wrote this uh, group writing project about uh, essentials and non-essentials of what to bring. And obviously some things are pretty obvious. You don't need to put them, you know, you need a passport. Everybody knows that. So mm-hmm. we were trying to focus on things that people didn't think about. Um, and probably top of my list was a computer. Um, we had originally not planned on bringing a computer. Um, I was really against it for a lot of reasons. I thought my family would just want to stay inside and play on it all day or just be addicted to it or it would get lost and valuable data would be lost um, and that it would just be one more responsibility or thing to keep up with. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in the end, we decided to take the computer. My husband was um, more for it than I was, um, and I have to admit this one time in his life, he was right. Um, <laughs> traveling with a computer was wonderful, and in this day and age, I don't think we haven't taken a trip since without it, and I wouldn't recommend that anybody do it. Um, it is just an incredible resource. Um, you know, having the Internet right at your disposal to research things while you're there, to be able to communicate, to be able to keep in touch with people. I mean, uh, whether it's Skyping um, and using your computer like a telephone or emails or keeping a blog, um, you know, we thought we would do all that stuff in an Internet cafe, and it would have been a nightmare to try to do it in an Internet cafe. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely something I highly recommend for people to travel with, even if they're only going for a short period of time, it's just a wonderful um, resource to have. Uh, mm-hmm. Some lesser uh, thought of items are um, Ziploc bags. Um, it sounds kind of silly. We um, we packed uh, things that could spill, like shampoo or something, in Ziploc bags just to prevent all our stuff from getting messy. And then I took the rest of the box and just shoved it in a pocket, not really thinking about it. And those became an incredible, um, useful uh, thing for us, anywhere mm-hmm. from packing leftover food because we stayed in apartments to uh, taking picnic lunches to picking up shells on the beach and putting them in. We just found that they were just a really handy thing to have and mm-hmm. um, take up no room. Another little kind of crazy thing that we took um, is a spray and wash stick. And I don't know if you have those over in England, but this is a pre-treatment stick for laundry. And Mm -hmm. when you're traveling for a long period of time and you don't always have access to uh, laundry facilities immediately, but you have a limited amount of clothes, being able to save your clothes from stains becomes very important. And so if uh, someone got chocolate on their clothing or uh, gelato in Italy or mole sauce in uh, South America, you could just treat the um, stain with this spray and wash stick, and then when you laundered, um, your stain would most likely come out. And this st- mm-hmm. saved us from having to wear stained clothes all the time or buying new clothes um, when we didn't really need to have new clothes. So, again, a very, very useful little thing. Um, some things not to carry. Um, one of the biggest one is expectations. 
And that's not mm-hmm. something you physically pack into your bag, but you certainly do pack into your bag. Um, you, you know, you go into your trip with certain expectations, and uh, there's a saying here that says uh, expectations are premeditated disappointments um, or premeditated disasters, and they really are. Um, the, if you can limit your expectations, both in terms of the sites that you're seeing, the countries that you're going to, um, how your family's going to react to certain things, then clearly it's going to be an easier trip than when you have these expectations and they're not fulfilled. Mm. Um, so let's go back to the computer. You said it was an absolute, you know, sort of must and, and a godsend. So were you able to find, get online on internet in every country that you went to? We, um, one way or another, we were able to get onto the internet in one country or another. It just depended how convenient it was. Um, okay. we stayed in apartments, which we talked about, I believe, the first uh, time we got together. We stayed in apartments mm-hmm. for eight out of the 12 months. And originally when we started booking the apartments, we had not planned on taking a computer, so we really hadn't looked to see if they had um, Internet access. But as it turns out, almost all of them did. Not every single one, but a lot of them did. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we would take our computer to an Internet cafe and we'd be able to get onto a Wi-Fi that way. Um, Sometimes you just pick up a random signal that wasn't a secured Mm -hmm. signal, so you certainly don't want to do your banking at that particular moment in time, Um, Mm -hmm. but it was enough to write a blog or to uh, upload pictures or do something that uh, is Mm -hmm. Mm non-secure. Sometimes we had Internet in places where we least expected it. I mean, Africa and India were places where we really weren't expecting to have easy Internet access, and we did. Um, Mm -hmm. Australia is one of those places that we expected to have great Internet service because it's like, oh, well, Australia is westernized, and, of course, they're going to have Internet everywhere. And we didn't. Uh, We didn't have it in our apartment. Um, The Internet cafe was very, very slow. Um, So there were definitely surprises as to how and when Internet access was available. And it was always available, but like I said, just sometimes not as convenient as what you would think it would be. And you also have a photograph um, that shows the luggage that you all took. I mean, you've got it all grouped together, and it's just kind of like half of my hand package that I carry with me when I just come away for a week or something like that. So tell us how you packed. I mean, how long did you pack for? Uh, well, we packed for a year. Um, but the reality is, in some ways, packing for a year is not that much different than packing for a week because you are yeah. obviously going to be doing laundry. Um, you just pack much more thoughtfully and carefully. Um, when we planned our route, we did take into consideration weather and tried to keep temperatures mild um, for the most part. And that prevented us from having to take um, a lot of heavy sweaters or jackets. So the heaviest uh, jacket we had was we each had a fleece jacket. Um, and then after that, for cooler temps, we relied on just layering. We all carried silk long underwear, which takes up no room whatsoever, but adds a, a nice mm-hmm. layer of warmth. And then, um, you know, if we hit chillier temperatures, we would put that on and then maybe a couple shirts on top and a pair of pants and then our um, jackets. So um, in terms of heavy clothes, we didn't have to take a lot with us. No. And well, layer. That's, that's a good idea, layering and actually going through 
this, you know, I, I know last time we talked, you kind of hit, tried to hit spring type weather everywhere you went. And we're going to have to go on a break for a while. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Lisa Schusterman, who um, homeschooled her twin girls for a year. Um, they learned far more than they would have done on in their Ohio classroom just by keeping their eyes wide open, as Dr. Seuss would say. So come back after this break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Renowned and gifted psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi, explores the mysteries of this life, the afterlife, and the unseen world that surrounds us all in the show called Make Contact with Sylvia Rossi, Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central here on Togginet. Sylvia Rossi with her special guests and other fellow psychics invite you to call in and make contact with the world beyond and get answers to your questions. Psychic medium Sylvia Rossi has been sharing her gift professionally for the last 17 years. Sylvia has made it her mission to help individuals and families understand their eternal connection to loved ones that have passed on, bringing relief and comfort to countless souls who have been touched by her gift. She's had the privilege of meeting and working with many psychologists who continue to recommend their clients to her when conventional methods have failed. Now it's your turn to make contact with host and psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Multi-ethnic church with Mark DeMoz. Thursday afternoons at 1, noon Central is a show that passionately addresses the question, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, then why on earth is your local church? They call us... Yes, increasingly, our diverse population and the diverse families it's producing is reshaping the face of the local church as people are beginning to recognize the power and beauty of walking, working, and worshiping God together with others of different backgrounds. How can your church overcome the obstacles, and why should you even try? Join a live chat with guests from around the country and the world to learn the effectiveness of churches in the 21st century beyond race and class distinction. This show has its pulse on what it will take for the church to find real reconciliation in our generation. So tune in for the Multi-Ethnic Church with Mark DeMoss, Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central, here on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Now, Lisa, obviously, um, you started your um, travels in Europe and you said um, that that was probably more expensive than anywhere else. And probably I would hazard a guess that you were pretty comfortable in Europe. The hotels were pretty comfortable. Yes. Um, well, as I said before, we stayed in apartments for eight out of the 12 months. Okay. And Europe is one of those places where we did stay in apartments. Yeah. And um we had incredible apartments throughout Europe, and if no one has ever rented a uh, vacation rental um, while traveling in Europe, I highly recommend it. It was so much less expensive than staying in a hotel, particularly a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and in America, a lot of hotels do have two beds, mm-hmm. but in Europe, which has smaller hotels um, and older hotels, 
a lot of times you won't find two large beds in a mm-hmm. uh, room. You'll only find one, so you would have to get two rooms. Yeah. And traveling with four, certainly we would, that was the case. Um, and staying in an apartment was typically cheaper than renting two rooms, plus the cost savings that you experience when you have the ability to cook your own meals um, is huge. And um, it was a huge cost savings to be able to stay in a an apartment, plus you get a lot more space. You know, parents get a separate room from their kids. You have a living space where someone can go to get away from each other. And -hmm. when you're traveling long-term, having extra space to get away from each other is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. So what was the most bizarre or uncomfortable place that you stayed at? Probably the most uncomfortable, and that's probably a perfect word, is in Agra, India, If people have never heard of Agra, they know it as the town where the Taj Mahal is. And um, it's probably the only reason people do go to that particular town. It is obviously ridden with tourists, and because of that, it is uh, notorious for um, pickpockets and um, petty theft. Um, My husband had booked a hotel there. We just needed it for one night, essentially. We were going to go see the Taj Mahal the next day and then leave. And we got to this place, and it was very, very seedy. Um, I I can't say that it was really dirty, but I wouldn't say it was exactly the cleanest place I've stayed in. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just very creepy. We arrived there late in the evening. It was in a small alleyway. It was very, very uncomfortable. Um, And we had two rooms there. Uh, That was one of the nights where we didn't do parents and children in separate rooms. Um, We each split up and stayed with one of our daughters in separate rooms. Um, and it was, I mean, we would say a dump, um, but it was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, it was so uncomfortable that we felt, um, the next morning when we left for the Taj Mahal, we felt really, um, uneasy about leaving our luggage in the room. We had heard about thefts of, uh, belongings out of rooms by what is assumed hotel staff. So, um, we had a padlock that we carried with us, and we took all our luggage and put it into the bathroom and padlocked um, our luggage inside the bathroom with our own padlock um, mm. and left it there until we came back from the ta- Taj Mahal and left. Mm. Wow. Yes, well, you see, these are experiences that you won't learn about unless you actually go and do them. It's wonderful, wonderful that you did this with your with your girls. All right, so you said you homeschooled on the road. Um, remind us, you just did a couple of, top, of subjects. The rest of it was more immersion in each country that you went into. So Exactly. If I had to use the word homeschool per se, I would say we homeschooled math. Since math okay. builds on a curriculum each year and we didn't want the kids to um, come back to their regular school behind, we did teach um, their fourth grade curriculum of math um, to them in a more formal manner. Uh, you know, we had workbooks, we had online programs that we used. But other than that, we did what a lot of people are now calling unschooled or travel schooled, where mm-hmm. basically they just learned whatever it was we were learning where we were. Um, mm-hmm. So we did not follow a particular curriculum at that point. No, well, you've got the world. The world's your curriculum. Why? Exactly. Why <laughs> you don't need Exactly. And, and it, yeah. because of that, it's not a limited curriculum. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's wonderful. And, I mean, do they still talk about it? They really don't discuss it um, very much. When they came back to school, they had switched schools. They, were, they knew they were going to a new school, and it's ironic because since they did go to a new school, most of the kids, or none of the kids really, knew 
nor the administration knew what they had done the previous year. And um, it's still kind of a big secret. Every once in a while it comes out sideways, like last year uh, they were discussing um, ancient history and something came up about India and they raised their hands and said, oh, well, in India, and I guess it kind of came out sideways, but they really don't talk about it with their friends. Um, they just want to fit in. They don't want to be different, um, and this would make them different. But... Um, Clearly, they're more worldly than, than their friends are because of this experience. And um, as a family, we still talk about it quite freely. Yeah. Um, last night it came up, somebody was looking for a place to stay in Bangkok, and um, I was writing down the place that we stayed in Bangkok, and I went to Google it to make sure I gave them the correct website, and we all started talking about the Atlanta Hotel and what wonderful watermelon milk, sh- uh, watermelon shakes they have and mm. um, just some of our experiences there. Mm. But while they were while they were traveling with you, though, they were thoroughly enjoying it. They were thoroughly enjoying it. Um, were there moments where they'd say, "I'm tired of traveling"? Yes. Um, yeah. Just like a child wakes up in the morning and says, "I don't want to go to school today." You know, yeah. they would say, "I don't feel like traveling today." Um, and one of the things that we did to ease that is we would have what we call down days, mm-hmm. um, days where we went quote-unquote, travel that day. We might just stay in and read some books or catch up on our correspondence or blog or do some math, um, but not necessarily go out and sightsee. Maybe we would go out and have just a picnic or go for a bike ride, but um, just have a day where we would take it easy. And a lot of times that would ease that feeling of, you know, oh, I'm tired of traveling because it, it can be very tiring. And yes, having yeah. downtime uh, was a way to keep that at, at bay. Um, they did miss friends, mm-hmm. and um, email communication helped with that a lot. Skype helped with that a lot, which we had not planned on using at the beginning. We thought that was going to be more of an emergency thing with families. Mm-hmm. Um, but we eventually got all their friends, families on Skype, and would arrange, quote-unquote, little play dates, um, which you had to arrange ahead of time because of the time differences. Yeah. But they would get on the phone and spend an hour on the phone with their friends. Um, we did a virtual birthday party that way on the day of mm-hmm. their 10th uh, birthday. We, okay. They had one call after another after another with all of their friends. Mm-hmm. And so um, so we had found ways to deal with the issues that come up, which is, you know, missing friends or missing uh, experiences from back home. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and being left behind or whatever. Um, so did you have – did you ever feel in danger – I mean, you, you you described this seedy little place in India. I mean, was there a, was there were there times when you went, oh my gosh, we don't need to be here, and you kind of hightailed it out of there as quickly as you could and went on to the next place? Um, I wouldn't say um, extensive danger. I mean, there, to use your word that you used before, uncomfortable. There are certain situations that were uncomfortable, um, like when in, we were in India and we were trying to we were at the airport actually trying to catch a flight out and we were just having problems boarding because we didn't have the right tags on our luggage and Mm. everybody is boarding except for us. Um, I wouldn't say it was danger, but it's just some of the discomforts that come from things not going smoothly or things going the way you want or what's going to happen. And there is that feeling um, sometimes where you don't feel quite as in control as you would like, but Mm. I'm not sure that that's really different than 
our day-to-day lives. You know, we often have situations where, you know, you're going to the airport and you're stuck in traffic and yeah. you're trying to catch a plane. And it's yeah. like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen if I miss that plane? So yeah. it, it really isn't different. It just at that moment feels more intensified because maybe you're in a country where you don't speak the language or exactly. maybe you just don't know how you're going to handle it as well as if you were in your own country. Mm. But um, no, no real danger. In fact, sometimes I perceived that we were in situations where I felt more comfortable um, and more at ease letting my kids say do something independently than I would at home. Mm. Um, and maybe that's a naive, naivety aspect of, you know, well, I don't read the local paper, so I don't know what's going on here. But um, most of the time we felt very, very good. And if not, we just took extra precautions. You know, we yeah. would stay together or we would, um, you know, just lock our luggage in the bathroom if something just didn't <laughs> feel right. Yeah. Um, did you um, go to Iran or Iraq or any of those you know, sort of Middle Eastern places? We did not. Um you know, in terms of when you say, did you ever feel in danger? Well, one of the precautions that we took was making certain choices before we even left. And some of those choices were choosing not to go to countries where we felt we might feel a little more in danger or where things were a little more precarious. Um, I have always wanted to go to Nepal. But, you know, in, in looking at the status of the country at the time that we were doing our planning, we said, you know, we would probably be okay, but the probably part didn't sit well with us, especially traveling with children. Yeah. So we said, you know what, maybe that's for another time when things feel more stable. Now, yeah. that said, we went to Thailand and didn't think anything of it, and yet while we were there, um, that is when the um, rebels took over the airport and shut down the airport for, oh, I guess it was three weeks or two mm-hmm. a month and overthrew the government. Mm-hmm. Um but it was such a almost peaceful revolution that um, you barely knew it was going on in some ways. Wow. But so in terms of like the Middle Eastern countries, we intentionally chose to avoid those, certainly missing a, a, a big part of the world, um, but mm-hmm. not wanting to put ourselves in a situation that might be uh, somewhat dangerous. Yeah. And um, you flew from place to place, right? Did Or did you ever go um, by by bus or from one country to another? Did you just fly? Long, long haul um, trips were always done by flights. Mm-hmm. We did use trains. We did use buses. We did use um, a fe- some ferries to get from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe, when you're going from one country to another, we would often use a train um, or a bus. Um, or like the ferry, we took a ferry from one end of Croatia down in Dubrovnik all the way up the coast we were still in Croatia when we got off, but then took a bus over into Slovenia. Um, but when it was a long haul, then we flew. typically uh, flew. Okay. Um, I've got to go on another break. Um, Lisa, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your book and maybe about the best food that you ate and maybe the worst food that you ate. So we'll be back in about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In the healthcare industry today, most of us are left in the dark when our doctors talk to us about our health and wellness. It seems that they don't have enough time to be informative and give us the options we deserve. Are you frustrated with today's medical advice as I am? Join the Medical Insider with Danny Walker and Dr. Richard Powell as they discuss the insider look at various therapies, medications, supplements, and much, much more. We will bring you the cutting-edge information regarding your health care and how you can take control of your health care decisions by not being fooled but being informed. Danny Walker and Dr. Richard Powell will be joined by experts in various fields throughout the healthcare industry, and they'll uncover the information that you should know about when it comes time to making those crucial decisions. Don't be fooled. Be informed with the Medical Insider every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 Central. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Lisa, there are so, so many other questions that um, we could ask you. And um, I know that there's a solution to that because you wrote a book. Tell us about your book. I did. Thank you, Vivian. Uh, the book is called Around the World in Easy Days. It's a guide to planning long-term travel with or without your kids. Um, and I wrote the book because this is the book I wanted to read when I was planning. Um, there are lots of guidebooks out there, but I couldn't find a whole lot of books in terms of planning. You know, one book that would just tell me everything that I needed to do in order to get organized. And again, there's, there's books that have planning with respect to just short-term travel, but not things talking about, you know, what about running your house or what do you do about your mail or um, your bills um, or your finances and things like that. So this is the book that I thought would have been easiest for me if I had read because it goes into all those types of details of how to, you know, put together a long-term travel plan. And yes. So this this the reason that I wrote the book to make it easier for other people. They don't have yep. to reinvent the wheel. They can, mm-hmm. you know, read this. The other part of that goes that we as you said at the beginning, we are not an extraordinary family. We're not super rich. We're not um anything unusual. We're an ordinary family who did an extraordinary thing. And I think that if there's people out there who want to do this, they can. Um mm-hmm. and I really want to inspire people to feel that way, to feel like, hey, she did this. I can do this, too. And even if it's not for a year, maybe it's just a 
summer away. You know, you're teachers and you have the summer off and you can take three months. Or maybe you have a six-month sabbatical um, with your uh, teaching position. Um, you know, people can do this. This is not a unusual thing. Um, and the more I network within the travel community, the more and more families I'm finding who are doing things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted to inspire people to do it, to make them feel empowered that they could take their um, lives into their own hands and do something like this with or without their families. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, okay, final little thought, because this always comes to mind, especially when you've got children, the food. What did you do about the food? What, what, what if there was a country where really there was nothing that you could get your kids to eat? Well, let's put it this way. Um, we, we thought about that way in advance because I have one child who's a vegetarian since birth, and on top of being a vegetarian, she's an extremely picky eater. Um, she was really panicked about what she was going to eat. So as we would research countries, we would look at you know foods that they would talk about, and we would always try to find one food in a country that she could hang her hat on. Um, a lot of times it was a food that is somehow related to bread and cheese. So, you know, we think of pizza, um, bread and cheese. Um, You know, in South America, they have empanadas. Um, Mm -hmm. It's essentially bread and cheese. Um, There's almost always some version of a bread and cheese. Um, Dutch pancakes. Um, You know, there was always a country that we could find something that she was comfortable with. On top of that, we carried a jar of peanut butter. We packed a jar of peanut butter in her suitcase and... Mm -hmm. We would always replenish it, and we were able to find peanut butter everywhere we went except for Argentina. Uh, we had trouble mm-hmm. finding peanut butter in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And we would always replenish the used-up jar of peanut butter, and that was her security blanket. Um, mm-hmm. So we were always able to find something that the kids would eat. Mm-hmm. And, again, staying in apartments made that easier because you can go into the supermarket and find things that they're familiar with or, you know, oh, there's fruit. Um, and we could wash that with bottled water and they could eat that. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely um, an issue for us that we were able to overcome. I feel like if we could travel with my daughter, who's the pickiest eater in the world, anybody can do it. And travel, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then we would find surprises. You know, in uh, northern India, we were in a, a city which is mostly Tibetan. And uh, they have these little dumplings called momos. And my daughters fell in love with momos. And you can get all different mm-hmm. kind of fillings, some of which are meat. You know, there can be stuffed with lamb or vegetables. But they had cheese ones. Um, mm. And they just fell in love with momos. Wow. So you'd find little surprises that, um, mm. that people would eat. Well, great, Lisa. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of our time. Thank you for joining us. Um, I've been talking to Lisa Schusterman, whose first experience of world travel was as a nine-year-old when they went on a three-week family vacation to Europe. So she now says she lives for travel. We talked today about the essentials of what to take on a long or a short trip. some things that she learned about herself and um, some of their um, food preferences. Um, because there were no books to help guide her through the process of preparing for an adventure, she wrote one, What an Entrepreneur, and her book, Around the World in Easy Ways, A Guide to Planning Long-Term Travel with or without your kids, can be found on Amazon or on her blog site, www.oneworldonetrip.com. 
she shared with us how her life took on a different perspective once she and her family returned home and how her friends and family are more important than before. So thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me this week. Have a great and a safe weekend. Thank you, Vivian. It was a delight. And you'd have a safe weekend, too. I say read her book and find out all those questions that we didn't get t- get a chance to talk about. Have a great Thanks, weekend. Thanks, Vivian, and happy travels to everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I want to do that. I want to travel around the world, and I guess I am in a way. At least I'm here in England, and we're able to um, travel around Europe a little bit. And um, our children Skype us every day. Once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler. We're a close-knit family and 4,000 miles isn't going to change that. We may be able to breathe a little easier without all the hot air going on around us, but we still like to keep up and offer opinions and comments and give advice which may or may not be followed, So, but it doesn't bother us now. In fact, I can hear my blue-eyed cowboy as we speak, giving our oldest son instructions on how to write a business proposal over Skype. This is proving to be a great learning curve for us as we close in on total empty nesterness. A great example also of not being able to actually do anything in a hands-on kind of way was when our teacher daughter, who recently moved to Corpus, told us the other day that she and her trusty Volvo had had a run-in with a brick mailbox and lost. We couldn't rush and physically pick up the pieces for her with her while the boys need to be trained to work things out without the parental buffer constantly in place we find it really difficult to apply the same rules to our daughter where's the women's liber in me she destroyed the mailbox and put a hefty crunch in her bumper and one of her headlamps broke and because her car is old she doesn't have comprehensive insurance so the mailbox was covered but not the repairs to her car and to avoid being ticketed she had to dig into her pockets to pay for the car damage and her dad hated not to be able to negotiate the repairs for her but she managed yay for her she's come out the other end wiser and more mature and thankfully no one was hurt i've decided during the things that I've been doing this week that I need to leave detailed, well, not too detailed, instructions on what I would like to happen to my remains. A morbid topic, I know, all tied to my octogenarian feelings, I'm sure, but I've learned a lot about myself in the process of working out what to do with my parents' remains and wondered why they weren't more specific or pacific even a little They left no instructions, not even about cremation, which because cremation runs in the family, that's the route my brother and I took. My father's ashes have been in my brother's care for the last two years, and now that mum has also passed on, we are faced with the question, where do we inter their ashes? My brother and I do not agree. He wants them here in Beckenham, where he and the boys can visit, and I agree with him for that. But not for me. Broadstairs is where my family has its fondest memories of mum and dad, granny and grandpa, so I want to inter them at the church we used to attend with them. It wasn't their regular church, even though it was just at the end of the road, but their regular church, the Abbey, um, was a place where the monks only knew of them. So in my mind, Star of the Sea at the bottom of their road won. Brohag doesn't have those same connections with Broadstairs, so I, older sister genius, came up with the idea of blending the ashes so that we could do what we wanted with them and earn each. We agreed at first and Till it came time, then he admitted to not feeling really comfortable with just one urn for two persons. How would he tell the boys, he wondered. He wanted two urns, 
Fine. I, st- I stuck with the blend. I think of my parents as being lost without each other, so mixing their ashes wasn't such an off-the-wall idea to me. Had a shock, though, when I inquired about the cost of interment at the church and was told it would be £350, about $600. Now, I am not being, um, you know, sort of mean with the money. We just spent £3,000 on all the funeral and the church and the cremation and everything. And they wanted this much money just to dig a little hole to pour in the ashes and then put a small memorial plaque to mark the spot. So I'm now mulling over plan B, which is the scattering of the ashes on the beach where they walked hundreds of times with their dogs for no cost. For a memorial, brilliant, for a memorial, brilliant cowboy came up with the idea of buying a bench and a plaque for the esplanade where they also walked when the tide was in. But there's a snag here too, which I won't go into this week. I wish they'd left instructions, but on second thoughts, I'm having to put a lot of thought into the solution of this ash problem. So maybe it's an exercise from the other side in analytical thinking, quite fitting for a homeschooler's mind. Well, um, customer service here has improved somewhat. It may have something to do with the European Union, and I'm sure American media and programming has not heard. Whatever the reason, shopping and then being able to take things back has changed drastically. For example, we are having quite a trial with towels. I can't find one in my mother's airing cupboard to absorb the way we're accustomed to. Weeks ago, we toddled off to a shop to buy four sets of lovely, soft, top-of-the-line, pure cotton towels. We washed them before use and after three weeks admitted they'd failed dismally in their attempts at being American towels. Well, any kind of towel at all, really. I was miffed and my lovely cowboy could no longer wear his contacts because of their persistent shedding. One day, as we were passing the shop where we'd made the disastrous purchase, we went inside to customer service. She'd obviously heard this tale of woe before and asked us to bring the towels back with a statement showing the purchase on my debit card. She'd refund the money or make an exchange. And this is England. I was taken aback. This is the home of faulty towels and Basil Faulty's unadulterated contempt for the unwelcome intrusive customer. So we got a full refund on our towels and now we have brand new towels that do the job. Well, I've spent your ear for another whole hour, so I'm going to wrap up until next week. Off to the Jolly Woodman again this evening. Malia's working all weekend, and I'm going to start Gone with the Wind. And I'll say thank you to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas, and hang on, Simon, we're praying for you. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest, Lisa Schusterman, and all of you, my faithful listeners, especially Tina, you're it next week. Um, listen to Sandy Fowler, host of Hartfield Holidays on Mondays, and I'll say goodbye until next week. Doop 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 doop. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Tokyo.